HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Meant to Be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Coral Lee. Having traveled all the way from Tokyo today, joining me is Andrea Fazari, author and photographer of Tokyo New Wave, 31 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation, out next month. The book profiles 31 chefs largely responsible for the changing food landscape in Tokyo. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. You write that Tokyo New Wave is your love letter to Japan and its distinct philosophy and approach to food. Yes. So when and how did this love begin? I would say it started on my first trip to Tokyo, which was about 18 years ago. My sister lived in Tokyo at the time with her husband and my niece. And I went then and was immediately taken by the aesthetic, the feel of the city, the way everything was done, and of course the food. And I vowed that one day I would go to live in Tokyo. And my life took me to other places first to live, um, in Europe and in Asia. Uh, but ultimately I, I made it there and it was because of something that also felt very familiar but also unusual at the same time. It was both aspects of Japan that kind of lured me in. It almost felt like I had lived there before. It felt very familiar even though for so many people it seemed so mysterious and exotic. Uh, for me it was just super interesting and enticing but also very familiar. And you grew up in New York, is that right? Yes. And Tokyo isn't the first kind of foreign country that you've lived in. How did you get to Tokyo as your final destination or current destination? Well, for my current destination, as as I said before, I had it always in my mind that I would go someday to live there. And I went many times on assignment, on vacation to Japan. And I always felt so good there and so happy and excited and intrigued. 
And before moving to Tokyo and besides living in New York, I lived in Italy, France, Spain, and Hong Kong, and a few six months in Cambodia, which was very interesting, but very short. Six months is short. Um, and so thinking about it over the years, the opportunity presented itself three years ago. The stars sort of aligned in my personal life and in my work life, and I finally decided it, I better go do it now. So I made the move, and I just left everything behind in New York and, and went to Japan. It's really interesting that you say you felt welcome or comfortable there mm -hmm. because I know when I traveled to Japan and a lot of my friends that have traveled, when we go there, it feels like the culture is so different, mm. and it's hard to instantly feel welcome. Mm. And do you feel like you can ever be or have you become a native? No, that will take more than a lifetime to become a native. But I feel an affinity for it and a love for it and a sort of, there's a sort of intimacy I feel when I'm there. I just feel very comfortable. And like you said, a lot of people don't necessarily take Japan as the warm place that perhaps Italy is or, you know, the southern Mediterranean could be. It's not that kind of warmth, but it exists in a different form. It's perhaps not, um, people don't uh, show their feelings as quickly or as easily, but they still have, you know, comparable feelings to the Italians or the Spaniards. They just don't show them in the same way. So I do feel very welcome there. I feel a lot of warmth there, and particularly the chefs that I've worked with for this book have been extremely kind and generous, and uh, they have opened up their their not only the restaurants to me, but their way of thinking, their, their souls in many ways, because I've asked them a lot of things that they say they've never been asked before. So uh, there's a very good relationship uh, for me in, in Japan with everything. So I just feel very comfortable. It works for me personally. <laughs> How did you choose these 31 chefs? The choice of these chefs was, was also very personal in that I chose each of them for their personalities and for how I felt when I was in their company, uh, for their personal stories as well, if I thought they had a compelling and interesting background, which I wanted to, in a way, use as an illustration of what Tokyo is about. Because in, in, in essence, this book is not a cookbook per se. It has recipes in it, but it's really almost an anthropological book that is about culture and about what a city is, what, what it means to be Japanese, which is, as I mentioned, one of my favorite questions, mm -hmm. uh, which I asked each of them. Um, and so for me, the choices were based on, above all, feeling. And did I have a nice experience during the meal? Nice is kind of a boring word, but what I mean by that is, did I feel something? Was I moved by something? Was I moved by the chef? Uh, and I went to many restaurants, which I, I had been considering to include in the book, but ultimately didn't for a few reasons. And that would be because I didn't feel that connection or that warmth or that um, sort of interest, even on their behalf, to open themselves up to someone like me who is not even Japanese. It's, it's funny. It's almost like you're, you're like eating your way into that you're welcome into Japan. Yes, it's true. I think that 
it feels like home to me now because of these people, in large part, because of these chefs. And many of them I've gotten to know quite well. Many of them have introduced me to their families, to their children, to their, to their partners, their wives. Uh, and I feel very touched by that, by the generosity and the openness, because it's true, most people don't think that of Japan outside of Japan. They don't think of it as being open. And I know that there's a lot I do not understand and I'll never understand about Japan. But I feel very lucky to have, even, uh, even just after the couple of years that I've been there, two and a half now, I feel lucky to have gotten to the point where I can feel so comfortable even though there's so much that I don't understand. That, that the unknowable adds to its attraction for me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, let's backtrack. I'm kind of breaking down the title. So we covered kind of the 31 chefs, mm-hmm. but why New Wave or what is New Wave? Well, New Wave for me means that this, this generation right now, which for me is about, a generation is about 20 years, right? So the chefs that I chose range in age from, at the time of writing the book, uh, 29 years old to 43 or 44 years old is the oldest person in the book. And I think that this, this generation of chefs is doing some very interesting things that differ from the generation before them. So even chefs that are a bit older than this age group uh, are quite different in, in feel and in how they operate and their attitudes also towards others. And uh, this group to me is new wave because they are very vibrant and much more open to the rest of the world. And they are influenced not only food-wise but also personality-wise. Um, and the generation that preceded them was not like this. What do you think sparked such an immediate change or immediate turn? Because, as you said, it's quite drastic, the mm. new generation versus the old. I think part of it is social media. I mm. think part of it is uh, just the way the world is changing. Um, and I think that it's, it kind of ha- has happened organically. And the, the group of chefs that I slowly got to know... Uh, by word of mouth, and also one chef introduced me to another, introduced me to another, introduced me to another. Um, Perhaps they're like-minded in some general way, and they have a curiosity and interest uh, that is more open uh, than their predecessors. Um, But exactly why, other than the way the world is changing in social media, I'm not really sure, to tell you the truth. And can you talk about the old or traditional Japanese tendencies towards exclusion? We kind of talked about this earlier, this tradition of kind of not being as welcome to someone that's new, this Mm -hmm. closed offness Mm -hmm. versus this new trend of openness that you say maybe in part due to social media. Discuss the difference? Yes, that you saw in maybe some specific chefs in their approach. Yes, uh, sure. Well, one of the chefs who's a good example of both he has i think the old and the new within him and it's very distinct is koji koizumi who's uh, one of the chefs in the book who is the owner of a restaurant called kohaku and it's a kaiseki restaurant 
Uh, he himself is very young. He's only, if I remember correctly, 36 now. Uh, and kaiseki is a very traditional cuisine in Japan. And in and of itself, it sort of imparts a certain way of being because the chef needs to respect uh, the very deep traditions that kaiseki imparts. So in that respect, he can be he can seem very traditional. He his way of carrying himself, the way of dealing with the staff, um, is very traditional as well. Yet his the interior of his restaurant is extremely modern. It feels like an art gallery, mm-hmm. but it's still the counter. It's still very elegant, but it's just more modern and more fresh. And to me, when I was there at the restaurant, I could feel the past and the future of Japanese dining. He himself is very energetic. He's very enthusiastic. Um, His mentor, his sensei, is also very warm. But another thing about uh, Koizumi-san that's different is that he also uses products from all over the world, whereas his mentor does not only Japanese products um, so he's an interesting example of both ex- the past and the future existing in one chef um, and he's distinctly Japanese to me as well because of the way he thinks when we did the interview he talked to me a lot about the importance of the seasons and the, to him there are 24 seasons that he works with and the 24 seasons dictate all kinds of products and ingredients uh, which otherwise he wouldn't work with unless they're, you know, in that particular moment, in that particular season, when you go to the restaurant, you, you have to have only those ingredients that are, that are hyper-seasonal. Um, but, it, but he's also very curious about the world. And I would love to ask him, it's perhaps a good question, why are you more interested in the world mm-hmm. than your mentor? And I don't think he'll know how to answer. I think it's just, he'll say it's, the the atmosphere now in Japan and for him he's just personally curious. So when I was flipping through the book, there are some kind of like more standard typical Japanese dishes. Right, there's a lot of uni, a lot of mm-hmm. kobe beef, mm-hmm. um, but there's also I saw a recipe for like a Western European style octopus. And so can you talk about the proliferation of other types? Of oh, there cuisine are so many other cuisines. Yes, and I was sure to include them in the book because Tokyo is extremely international when it comes to its food. And particularly the influence of France and Italy is very strong. Uh, And then a mixture of, they'd say, European at large um, is a big influence on a lot of the chefs. Uh, The the dish you're talking about is the Galician-style octopus. Uh, That's at Craft Tale. And Shinya is a very young chef. He is uh, 31 now, I believe. And he lived in France. Uh, and he said more than than the French themselves, per se, he was influenced by so many other young chefs who had traveled mm. to France to work in the kitchens where he worked. So he was also influenced by um, young chefs from Australia and the United States, from Italy, from Spain, um, and being in touch with these different people and different cultures, he learned an incredible amount, not only about food, but about himself. And he said that that opened up his mind uh, to act differently. And this is a theme which is recurrent in the book. For many of the chefs, the notion of going abroad to learn more about oneself 
and becoming different and being aware of the difference when they returned to Japan and being happy that they did go abroad and they did change the way they feel about life or the way they uh, just function. They felt that it was a very positive uh, change, a very positive experience. Um, so they brought back with them a lot of different ideas about food and ingredients. And so in Tokyo now, so many of the chefs integrate these ingredients and ideas of things they experienced abroad with the more traditional uh, Japanese food that they grew up with. So it's making for some very interesting dishes, and it's, it's hard to categorize the different cuisines that these chefs are making. So I often just like to say it's this particular chef's cuisine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not fusion. I, I don't really like that word. Uh, and it's not French food. It's not Italian food at all. It's, it's a mixture that's very unique to each of the chefs in the book. Yeah, that reminds me kind of um, that literary tradition where writers go to travel abroad and then come back and write about their own country and yes. they're given like a sharper eye Absolutely. on their own culture. I mean, myself too, living abroad in these different countries, I learned a tremendous amount also about New York <laughs> by mm -hmm. living abroad in the United States and about myself, absolutely. So in writing this cookbook on Japanese food and Japanese culture, I'm sure you've had to redefine and reconsider what Japanese or what the word Japanese means. So what does it mean to you and what does it mean to some of the chefs that you spoke with? Hmm. Well, the word Japanese, what does it mean to be Japanese? As I said to you before, it was one of my favorite questions to ask, ask the sh each of the chefs. And each one had a very different reaction to the question. Uh, some recoiled and didn't feel able to answer, at least not immediately, and I gave them time to reflect and then come back to me with an answer. Some answered immediately. Uh, one in particular, I remember, said that it doesn't mean anything to him to be Japanese, mm. that he's a citizen of the world, he's a human standing on this planet, and that being Japanese is almost a political uh, designation. Mm. Uh, but, of course, he said he did grow up in Japan, so that means a certain set of things, like growing up with a certain set of tastes, flavors, uh, things like that, which, say, Americans would not grow up with, um, and certain attitudes which are ingrained in us from a very early age, and we can't help but absorb them. So he, he's aware that it's the case that he is Japanese, but he rejects the notion that it defines him. So that was a very interesting answer. But for me, what does it mean to be Japanese? I think it's a combination of many, 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 many things, including uh, attention to detail, uh, a great desire to uh, respect, uh, let's see, everything around you. Like the, the philosophy of Shintoism, I think, is culturally very evident in people in Japan and their attitudes um, of daily living. Um, I think their, their manners in public especially, like the need to get along with others as a group, uh, is extremely important. The group is much more important than the individual in Japan. And that to me is, is distinctly Japanese, also Korean. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Japan and Korea used to be one country many, many, many years ago. Um, but I think it's, uh, there's also creativ creativity. I think there's great humility and grace in Japan. Uh, and 
it means so many things. I could make a list for you probably of 20 things of what it means to be Japanese. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Meant to be Eaten. I'm speaking with the author of Tokyo New Wave, 31 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation, Andrea Fazari. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. And we're back. We were just talking about what being Japanese really means to Andrea, to those native Japan, and in general. Um, So your cookbook's target reader is, quote-unquote, the savvy global but being exposed or rather overwhelmed <laughs> by Seamless, the delivery uh, apps, endless ethnic options does not make us more cultured, but maybe even less. Can you talk a bit more about this paradox? Oh, dear. Well, first of all, savvy was not a word I chose. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a publisher word. Um, I think that the audience for the book is for anyone of any age, I would say, 15 years old to 100, uh, because it is presenting a city, a country, people, food. Uh, It would be interesting for people who like design as well, travel. Um, So I think that, yes, the, the audience that would react and enjoy this book is huge. Um... It's true that ordering food on an app does not make people more cultured, but at least it exposes them to other ingredients and foods, which are often an introduction to the country itself. Uh, Often foods are also modified when they're not in the country of origin. So for example, eating Japanese food in New York is, is much more of a challenge for me because I know what the real, quote-unquote, authentic Japanese food is. There are some restaurants in New York which are fantastic and are on par with uh, restaurants in Japan, but many are not. And they have a sort of... uh, They've somehow mutated, and they get influenced by the country, uh, the guest country, so to speak. Um, 
but I, I don't think there's anything wrong, you know, with ordering Japanese food and, and being exposed to these things. I mean, I, I was exposed to these ingredients very young, living in New York City, and I think it's wonderful. I, I mean, people can learn about miso soup and tofu and basics, uh, and maybe from there they get curious to actually travel to Japan, just like with any, any cuisine, any culture. Yeah, we had an interview a few episodes ago where... Um, these kind of third culture dishes that mutate yes. here. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the end result of, or just because of natural selection, right? The, the super ethnic, quote unquote, food has to kind of meet the American palate halfway. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so there is this kind of mutation that has to happen for it to survive and continue to flourish right to be more appealing in some way but this happens not only in the u.s but all over the world Mm -hmm. Uh, even in japan you'll find dishes which as an american you may find very unusual but they think it's american food and it's been modified somehow to appeal more to the Japanese palate. It's mm-hmm. fascinating, really. Yeah, like corn pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I love corn pizza. There are so many unusual pizzas, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so going, yeah, so with corn pizza, um, what are some social or cultural challenges that you face daily as an American in Tokyo? So some, as now the American exi- in exile, what are some things that you notice about Tokyo culture? Uh, I think... First of all, I don't consider myself in that way. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I started traveling from a, a very young age. My parents, my mother especially, always encouraged uh, me to travel as much as I could. And, and my parents uh, took me and my sister out of school to go abroad and go on different trips. So we were exposed very young. So I. it might sound strange... And I, I am not Japanese, but I feel, as I said before, like there's something so familiar and so comfortable about being in Japan that some difficulties that may be apparent to Americans that travel there for the first time are not apparent to me. So if I stop and think about it, though, and step back, I could perhaps identify some of the issues that might be difficult for people traveling to Japan for the first time. Um, of course, the language is, is difficult for people to, to learn. Uh, but beyond that, I think that part of what it, it would help uh, Americans in, Japanese, in Japan to understand about um, integrating better into the society or, or having a smooth trip is, is the notion of being extremely respectful mm. to the local norms and local uh, ways of doing things. Manners are extremely important in Japan. Uh, and one of them is not being loud. Uh, one is being very discreet. Uh, silence, which I mentioned to you, is something very important in Japan. Uh, so they, they respect someone who doesn't profess so much, someone who is more reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you make an effort as a traveler, a visitor, to uh, read a little bit about um, the local ways of, of behaving or ordering food or um, how you should greet people, how you should say goodbye, uh, you will have a better trip because the, the uh, local people in Tokyo will react to you better thinking that you made an effort to understand them and to understand their country. Um, 
so I think that that's good advice when you travel anywhere um, to any country. Um, and also to realize in Japan, if people don't show uh, a lot of emotion, that's okay. Uh, they Visitors should not assume that that's a negative thing mm -hmm. or that something is... is is bad about that or, or they're saying something bad about you mm -hmm. um, so just be patient and respectful I think goes a long way I find it really hard to answer the question where are you from mm -hmm. and I wonder if you have the same experience yeah I when I'm asked that you mean in, when I'm abroad Anywhere. I Anywhere. Mean, like if you were in a taxi cab in Paris and mm -hmm. someone asked, where are you from? Yeah. I, I tend to almost put the word technically in front of the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could say I'm from, I often say I'm from New York City. Mm -hmm. I, I'm from New York City, but, I, you know, I've lived in many places. If they're curious, I offer more information. Uh, but the basic answer would be from New York City. And so the Japanese, as many Asian cultures do, um, value, like you mentioned earlier, the group over the individual. Yes. And how do you think this kind of group think or group mentality came into play? I think one of the reasons is because Japan is an island that for many, 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 many years uh, was very independent and was pretty cut off. It was cut off from the rest of the world. So I think it was extremely important uh, for everyone to get along as as much as they mm -hmm. could for harmony and for the good of the, the 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 group the the good of the greater population so to this day conflict and um, if you disagree with something it's better not to say so extremely overtly or with great force uh, because it, it just ruffles feathers and makes people uncomfortable uh, there are other ways of going about it, which are very subtle, and many of these things I don't even understand or know. It's very difficult to learn them all, and it would take more than a lifetime, I think, of living in Japan to really pick up on everything. Um, but I think they feel that there's more success in a, as a group. Um, it's more desirable for, for the family and for the greater society for harmony. And so how did these 31 chefs react when you kind of singled a lot of them out? You know, we want to yeah. tell your story. I want to share your, your yeah. photographs. Some of them had never been interviewed or photographed before, mm -hmm. let alone by a foreigner. Uh, so it, for some, it took a bit of encouraging. Mm -hmm. And with one in particular, it took some insisting on my part. <laughs> the, well, people will read the book, but um, one of the female chefs that I... I got to know in Tokyo, she was extremely reticent about it, uh, and it took a year wow. of, of trying to encourage her. She would say yes, then no, then yes, then no. Uh, and that's difficult in Japan, too, because sometimes Japanese want to please you very much, and they might say yes, but it actually means no. Mm -hmm. they, they may feel that they want to do the right thing, um, but inherently, deep down, they don't want to do it. So picking up those cues is very difficult, and I'm still not very good at that. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not at all. And I've spoken to Japanese friends who also have difficulty sometimes reading uh, what someone really feels. Uh, and often, again, the idea of silence 
Uh, sometimes less is said than more is said, and it's difficult to read the tea leaves, so to speak, <laughs> to read the air, which is an expression in Japanese, to read the air mm. and to understand what someone is really feeling. Um, so some were embarrassed to be asked even because, yes, the focus would be on him or her. Um, but then I think also once they got to know me more and they understood that I was sincere and super interested, they relaxed a bit more about it and they began to enjoy being a part of the project and allowing me to photograph them in different ways because, as you saw in the book, I photograph uh, everyone not in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted very much to show each chef as a person, not just as a chef. So you'll see them in both ways, which I think is very interesting. And no one really ever sees Japanese chefs that way, ever. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I think, so I work at a Japanese restaurant, right. and <laughs> a lot of my friends will say, like, oh, has, like, the master shown you his ways? Or, you know, like, stuff <laughs> like that. And it's like, that's not really how it really no. is. Yeah. Okay. No. There are a lot of <laughs> stereotypes and ideas about Japan uh, outside of Japan, which mm -hmm. are not necessarily the case. So in praise of Tokyo New Wave, chef Alex Atala wrote, Japan, Japanese cuisine, and Japanese chefs spark fascination for their movements, their ingredients, and the richness and appreciation of details. Mm. And why do you think this is something unique to Japan and its culture? I, especially in New York City, if I feel like even with fashion, especially with Fashion Week, um, which is what, this week, um, a mm -hmm. lot of people are like, oh, is that you know a Japanese designer? Like It's instantly kind of given this little badge. A badge? Right. The meaning they like it? Right. Like, I feel like it's kind of associated with, like, ooh, this is... So cool? So cool, right? So hip. Um, well, there is a lot that's cool and hip about Japan and about Japanese design, uh, even fashion. I mean, actually, I before I became a photographer, I worked in fashion, and I did public relations, and I am also very aware of what people are wearing in style, and... One of the things that fascinated me about Japan the, on my first trips there, especially in Tokyo, was the avant-garde element mm. and the notion of the image of, of what a man is supposed to be as well, because there are a lot of men there who are extremely fashion-forward. You know, there are many parts of, of Japanese life, and, and in Tokyo in particular, there are so many different types of people. Um, there's the salary man and, you know, that stereotype, which is extremely conservative and, and, and not so interesting as far as a design or appearance, what have you. But there are a lot of creative people that come into their own, you know, later, uh, after adolescence, especially after the teen years into their 20s, because when, when, when Japanese children, you know, from a very young age to even through to their teens... They're, they're educated and taught in a way to, again, think of the group, not to stick out, not to stand out, to do as their friends do and their, um, like all the other students in the school. But slowly they emerge and they emerge from that and they find the confidence to leave that thought behind. Not everybody, mm -hmm. absolutely not everybody at all. But there are those who do. And there's extreme, amazing creativity in Japan uh, which I think is, is, is unique in the world. And like Alex Atalo, who I photographed many years ago, and I asked him to you know take a look at the book, and he comes to Japan quite a bit. Um, the, you asked, excuse me if I, I digress, you asked about the details as well. 
the appreciation of details, the attention to details in Japan, I think is extremely unique and one of the reasons why I like it there so much. And I'm not exactly sure what the origins are, but I do find that there's no other culture as detailed as the Japanese. Um, and the pride that they have for working, for example, in the kitchen and the ingredients they choose and the pottery they choose and the ceramicists and every vendor that they work with, everything is extremely intentional and well thought out. Um, so I still have a lot to learn about why there's so much detail in Japan. And I think I'd need to speak to an anthropologist, but it's something that definitely fascinates me as it fascinates Alex Atala and people during Fashion Week, I think also appreciate the unique design, um, which in many cases is extremely avant-garde. And I think it's a result of perhaps um, a, a youth, experience in youth of being um, very controlled, following the rules, a sense of obligation to do so, and later in life, challenging those rules, challenging the notion of having to do what others tell you, and sort of letting loose in this incredibly exciting uh, and, and new way. Uh, so I think some of the most creative people on the planet are in Japan and in Tokyo. So I, I do understand why people think that fashion is so cool. It is. <laughs> It's very innovative and different. Mm -hmm. mm. Can you talk a bit about the process of composing photographs? Because it's kind of unique that you got to both photograph and write this cookbook. Yes. So what was the process of composing the photos from, you know, the sequence of photos that you have and the micro, like the way each photo was set up? Sure. Well, my idea, which I expressed to the publisher from the very beginning, was that I wanted to depict these chefs in a way that was never done before and it was extremely important to me to show them outside the restaurant in their daily life um, so I would get a sense of each one through my interviews with them and speaking to them uh, spending time and deciding what might be interesting how would it be interesting to shoot them um, what can I do photographically to convey something about this person uh, that other people will not see when they go to their restaurants. Um, so for some of them, I would ask questions like, what do you like to do when you're not working? Is there a person in your life who's very important to you? Uh, is there a place that's important to you? And then we would sit down and discuss what was feasible, also according to their schedules, because these are extremely busy mm -hmm. people. Um, and we also had to decide what each one was comfortable with because some people also didn't make it into the book because they were not comfortable allowing me to photograph them not as a chef, because, again, they're thinking of how they appear to others. And showing them in an intimate situation with a family member or sometimes just not even dressed as a chef didn't sit well with some of them. Hmm. So I would thank them and I'd say, I'm sorry, but that's an important part of the project. So when I would ask for... Um, suggestions from them. I then came up with ideas on my own of locations that I thought were, were compelling photographically to me personally. And I would just shoot them there. I'd bring them there and do it. And I've always trusted my eye. And uh, I was very happy with some of the ideas like that I think you saw that convey 
their personalities quite well. And I, I don't want to describe it because I want people to <laughs> buy the book and see the photos. Um, but the range of photos uh, I'm, I'm pleased with. Not everything made it into the book because I had hundreds and hundreds, but there are 435 photos in the book, which is a, which is a lot. Uh, and then others I'll put online at tokyonewwave.com. <laughs> but um, I... I composed photos totally based on feeling in a way as I chose the chefs themselves. It's all about feeling for me. What, and balance uh, photographically is important. What, what feels balanced to me? Um, what is geometrically um, appropriate in my, in, my, in my mind, in my eye? Uh, so, and the light is always extremely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that was actually something that instantly grabbed my attention when I opened or flipped through the PDF of your cookbook was that you place a lot of photos of food right alongside photos of chefs. Mm -hmm. And they seem totally synonymous. It felt like the food became portraits of these chefs. Yes. And I think it's, you know, as a, I've tried taking portraits in high school. I wanted to be a photographer. And I oh. find it's really difficult to get those kind of secret details that mm. really illuminate something about your subject. Right. And the food totally succeeded in doing that. Oh, that's good. Yes, because in, in, at the end of the day, they are communicating through the food. Mm -hmm. This is their medium. So the food, together with the person who made that food, is what conveys a sense of place. And that's why, for me, these chefs are ambassadors for Japan, but specifically Tokyo, because they're all telling stories through their food. I've been speaking with Andrea Fazari, author of Tokyo New Wave, 31 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation, out March 13th. This was meant to be eaten, brought to you by Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Coralie, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>